This morning we have our beautiful gospel message from Ruth again, so please turn in your Bibles to Ruth, Ruth chapter 1, beginning at verse 19 to um, chapter 2, verse 7. Once you have your spot, if you would stand so we can read the Word of God together. Ruth chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. She said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young men who were in charge of the reapers, whose, woman, whose young woman is this? The servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came. She has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that you have revealed your will to us in your word. Lord, we thank you that you have drawn us here together that we might hear your word, that we might be nourished, strengthened, Lord, that we might be able to enjoy this good word for your people this morning. We praise you and we thank you and praise all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Which do you prefer? Do you prefer to be in the driver's seat or in the passenger seat? Do you wish to control exactly where you're going and how you get there, or do you enjoy letting someone else control where you go? I went on a backpacking trip uh, to Yosemite when I was in high school, and it was the most amazing and beautiful trip. And one thing that the leader did... He said that every one of us at some point was going to lead that hike. So it came to be my turn, and I was able to lead, and I was leading at a good pace and doing everything correctly. I don't know. I was leading well. Um, but when it wasn't my turn to lead, I would always hear the, the guy in charge from the back relay a message, and I was always quick to say, hey, the person in front leader, we should go this way or we should go that way. The leader at some point told me, Andrew, you're a great leader, but you need to learn how to follow. You need to learn how to follow. So when your spouse says, honey, 
we should turn right here instead of going left because I turned right once and it was really beautiful. What is your first inclination? So much of our Christian life is about following. This morning we've already read from Psalm 23 about the shepherd who is leading us. But what happens when our shepherd leads us down a path that we would rather not go down? As we look again at the story of Ruth, we know that someone has taken control of the story of the lives of Ruth and Naomi. They both had husbands. Naomi had sons. They were doing pretty well. But then they went to Moab. They lost their family. And now, ten years later, they're back in Bethlehem. And they say that they have come back. Naomi says that she has lost everything. It's no wonder she's sad and devastated by the pain and the suffering that she has experienced. God is rewriting their stories. He's taken over control of their lives. The Lord has brought them to their knees. And this morning, in the face of this suffering, we get to see three things. First, how Naomi responds. Second, how Ruth responds. And thirdly, how the Lord responds. First, Naomi's response, Ruth's response, the Lord's response. First, here in the end of chapter 1, we see Naomi's response. Naomi's back in Bethlehem, and the whole town is stirred as she's come back to Bethlehem. And all these ladies come, and they meet to see Naomi, to hear the report of what's happened over the last ten years. But the report is one of pain and loss. As the women of the city ask, who is this person? Is this Naomi? She says, no, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Naomi cannot stand to hear people call out her as pleasant when all she feels is bitter. And she feels bitter because of what the Lord has done. Naomi is completely aware of God's sovereign hand over all things. Naomi says, The Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. The Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has testified against me. The Almighty has brought calamity upon me. She says that the Lord has testified against her, like in a courtroom. The Lord has found her guilty, and now the Lord is bringing all of this pain upon her life. God is mad because of what she has done, and now her life is going to be miserable. That's how she understands what God is doing. We even see in chapter 2, verse 2, that Naomi's bitterness And and her pain has gone so far that she is unable to work. She's unable to get out and work. One commentator says, Naomi seems resigned to her despair. Another commentator says, still absorbed with a bitter affliction and emptiness of her life, Naomi remains inactive. Naomi thinks that God is against her. She is bitter, and she is beaten down. Naomi's complaint can be boiled down to one main point. She believes God 
is against her. In Naomi's mind, God is not good. He does not have a good plan for her in mind. He does not have a loving purpose of how he's directing her life. On the other hand, as we move to chapter 2, we see Ruth's response. And even though Ruth has gone through the same pain, the same circumstances, Ruth is hopeful. Ruth says that she's going to go out and she expects, she hopes to find someone who will show her favor. She's a widow. She's a sojourner. She has just as much right to complain as Naomi, but she doesn't. Here we have two ladies with the same circumstances. One responds with bitterness and despair. The other responds with an expectant hope. Well, how can Ruth have hope? As we've noted before, Ruth believes. She believes in God. She believes in the promises of God. She can see that the Lord is good, that He is going to direct her in ways that are good. Maybe not in exactly the way that she was hoping for, but she knows God is good. He is for her, and He is not against her. She trusts God, and because of that, she can have hope for her future. And not only does she believe in God, but because Ruth is not absorbed with her own bitterness, she can see She can see the small providences that God is bringing about. She can see uh, that that she has Naomi. She can see that they're in the promised land. She can see that it's the beginning of barley harvest, which means it's it's near the, the beginning of spring. There's so much harvest through the spring and the summer and the fall. Naomi has hope. So what does she do? In chapter 2, verse 2, she says she's going to go to the fields to glean. And to glean is to gather leftover harvest. In Leviticus 19.9, the Lord says, When you reap the harvest of the land, you shall not reap your field right to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after you harvest. Instead, Those who own land and who harvest their crops are to leave some. They're to leave some grain in the field so that the poor and the sojourner can work, can make a living working and providing for their needs. But even though the Lord has made this good provision for the poor and the needy, there's still no promise that anyone And the land of promise is actually obeying this command. We know that we are still in the time of the judges where everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. So there's no guarantee of food. And not only that, but that means that being a young widow in a field gleaning is a dangerous place. But even without being fully sure of finding provision or being fully sure that she will be safe, Ruth goes out in faith to glean for her sake and for the sake of Naomi. Ruth is living in faith. She's expecting that the Lord is going to bring her good. And that's not necessarily through a change in circumstances. Ruth does not put all of her chips on circumstances. But she knows that God is 
good, that God will bless her, even if it's through pain, even if it's, even if it's through going, a path, going down a path she would rather not go down. She doesn't just sit around and wait. She trusts God, going out, knowing that God will lead her. Because God always does. God always leads us in the most amazing ways. Every single time. God's people can be expectantly hopeful because the Lord always leads us in the good. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. In Jeremiah 29.11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God promises that every time He will lead us for what is for His glory and for our good. Now again, let us not speak of the prosperity gospels. Our lives will not be easy and smooth. This is not about a good paying job, a nice car, a beautiful yacht. This is about a God who wants you and I to love Him as He loves us. A God who wants us to trust Him. To abide in Him. Here's an example. Naomi has changed her, light, her name now from pleasant to bitterness. From pleasant to bitter. She's reversing what God has already done. We've already seen in the book of Ruth, this family has reversed what God has done. The Lord brought them out of Moab into Bethlehem, the land of promise. And what does the family do? They go back to Moab. Once again, Ruth reverses what the Lord has done. She goes from pleasant back to bitter. There's a story in Exodus 15. Right after the people are brought through the Red Sea, the Lord directs them to Mara, which is the same word here that Naomi now uses for people to call her. But the people of God couldn't drink the water in Mara because it was bitter. Even though the Lord had just done a mighty work of deliverance to bring His people out of Egypt through the Red Sea, destroying the Egyptians, still they come to bitter water and they complain. But Moses cries to the Lord. He throws a log in the water and what was bitter becomes sweet. And the next thing that happens, there's like really no context. All of a sudden, the people go into the land of Elim. And it's said there that the land of Elim is where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. God had the most amazing place, Elim, the most amazing place in mind that He wanted to bring His people to. But the way that best glorified God and was for the best for His people was first to bring them through Mara. To show them that God is going to be the one who is going to direct them and guide them and give them all that they need. He is going to father them and shepherd them. If they went straight to Elim without going through Mara, they would have thought that they got there themselves and they provided for themselves. 
Now as we come back to Ruth, and we come back to chapter 2, right after Naomi has changed her name from pleasant to to Mara, from pleasant to bitter, we see the Lord provide in the most amazing way. God's people in Exodus just happened to come to Elim and were wonderfully provided for. And now, Ruth just so happens, just is a a total coincidence, wink, wink, that Ruth just so happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz. We know nothing ever just happens. God is working. God is doing something. And something amazing is right around the corner. Well, first we've seen Naomi's despair, Ruth's expectant hope. And now as we continue in chapter 2, we see the Lord's response. God unfolds His providence through a man named Boaz. If you have a daughter or a granddaughter... You are especially going to like this Boaz. Uh, This is the man that everyone wants their daughter to marry. This is everything a young woman wants in a man. Boaz is awesome. First, Boaz's name means in him there is strength. Not only that, I mean the list keeps going on. Verse 1, it says that he's a worthy man. In the Hebrew, that's gibor. If you are a cool guy and you know Hebrew or you live in Israel, if you're called gibor, you are the guy. Okay, so gibor, um, that means manly hero champion. Especially for Boaz, this means that he has very good character, a good reputation, and good standing. And he owns land. Not only that, he's from the clan of Elimelech. Now, Naomi and Ruth don't know yet that he's from the clan of Elimelech, but for the reader, for you and I, as we read that, we are to get very giddy about this man, Boaz, because he's also from the clan of Elimelech. But that's not even all of it. Look at verse 4. He greets his employees and says, The Lord be with you. And they respond, The Lord bless you. Boaz is a godly man. You can tell that him and his servants, that they worship together, that they sing together, that they pray together. This is their normal exchange. And last but not least, in verse 5, Boaz says, Whose young woman is this? Boaz notices Ruth. And that's good for the love story that is the book of Ruth, but that's also to make a big comparison between how Boaz is going to treat Ruth and how Naomi treats Ruth. You remember that when Naomi and Ruth come back into Bethlehem in in the end of chapter 1, the whole town is stirred because of these two ladies, but in the conversation between those women of the city and Ruth and Naomi, the women only ever acknowledge Naomi, and, and the author purposefully shows that they left Ruth out. So the women specifically speak, who is this? Is this Naomi? And Naomi's response is, is incredible, incredibly uh, not nice. Naomi says, I left full, but I've been brought back empty. 
with Ruth standing right beside her. Boaz is the perfect Christian bachelor, and he notices Ruth. Is God for or against these ladies? Well, God is always for them. In the end of the book of Ruth, we are fully convinced that God has done all of this for the best of their joy and the best of their faith. We also learn that God is not timid about using hard circumstances to bring about amazing blessing. God isn't timid about using hard circumstances to bring about amazing blessing. But we have to trust Him. Listen to this quote from Pastor Ian Duguid. He says, God sometimes takes away the things that have become precious to us because they are supporting us in a life of sin and hardness of heart. Alternatively, He sometimes takes away things that were good in themselves because He wants us to live our lives as a powerful testimony of the sufficiency of His relentless grace in the midst of our weakness and loss. Sometimes the Lord takes away very good things for His glory and still for our good. How do we respond when the Lord takes us down a path that we would rather not go down? Could you lose your husband and your sons and still believe that God is for you and doing you good? Can we always, in every circumstance, circumstance, expect favor and hope despite suffering? Well, it is not easy. Being expectantly hopeful like Ruth is harder than any one of us wants to admit. It's so easy for us to look at our circumstances. So easy to forget what God has already done for us. It's so easy to forget the promises of God. What if what happened to Naomi and Ruth happened to us? If it happened to me, I would probably be in despair as well. If this happened today in a car accident or something similar, all of our hearts would be broken. And so often we can respond and we just ask God, Lord, please change the circumstances. Make all of the pain go away. That's what I want. I want my loved one back. I want the pain to go away. Lord, you took me down this path. I didn't want to go down it. Please, let's go the other way. Undo what you have done. Please, Lord, choose another way. Oh, how I've prayed that. Lord, choose another way. So how do we do it? We're called to be hopeful. We're called to be joyful. You and I are called to be peaceful and thankful in every circumstance, abounding in thanksgiving. First thing is, that doesn't mean that we can't mourn. There will be suffering. There will be loss. Secondly, that doesn't mean that we never end up in despair, crippling despair. Christians get depressed too. It's not easy. It's not simple. We have to admit 
that Christians get depressed. I know a lot of you in this room this morning have been depressed. I sure have been myself. It's not easy. But in our pain, after our pain, but especially through our pain, we need to remember one thing, that we can't lose hope. We're still called to hope. Why? Because we hope in a good God. How? How can I be so sure that God is for me and bringing me good even in the midst of all this pain and loss? Brothers and sisters, you can trust the Lord's steering of your life because of one specific amazing event. What is the biggest injustice that this world has ever seen? What is the most undeserved pain and loss ever experienced? That would be Jesus on the cross. The perfect Son of God hung on that cross. And as we see that suffering and that pain and that loss, many would give up, would doubt, would lose hope. Oh no! That's the Messiah on that cross. That's Jesus. That's the seed. That's the promised heir. He's lost. He didn't win. He's dying. God has failed. Many people, as they saw Jesus on the cross, they said that exact thing. But we know what happened. We know what God was doing with that cross. We know what happened three days later. We know what happened. Jesus was taking all of our sin on Him. Giving us life. And we're given hope. But if you don't know that hope this morning, if you've never tasted this real eternal hope, come to Him today because God was doing something very, very, very special on that cross. Brothers and sisters, God was saving you and I. He displayed ultimate ugliness so that you and I could have ultimate beauty. When you doubt God's love for you, look to the cross. You are so valuable. You are so loved. You are so cared for. Never forget that. It's absurd for you and I to think, to actually think that we are at all in control of our lives. If we take one step back, if we one glimpse into heaven, you and I know that we do not hold our lives in our own hands. You and I don't have the power to, to figure out how to make this one hope that we have or one, whatever it is that we want. We have no ability to make sure that that goal comes to fruition. All is in God's hands. And that is a good thing. It is a very good thing that it is all in God's hands and not in our hands. Because the one who is directing your life, the one who we are called to follow and to obey, He is good. He is love. And He knows all things. He knows exactly how to bring you the most good. I've heard it said before that when we get to heaven, and we look over our entire lives, 
not once in any circumstance will we be able to see our, the story of our lives and say, Lord, this one thing right here, if you would have just tweaked this a little bit or made this just a little bit different, my life would have been better. Not one time, not one of God's people. Brothers and sisters, we have an expectant hope that when the Lord directs us, listen here, when the Lord directs you in a path you would rather not go down, have an expectant hope because what He is bringing you into is better than what you could have hoped for. And when you forget or when you feel down, when it seems too hard, look to the cross. Go to the Word. Be reminded of God's love for you. Partake of the Lord's Supper. Be reminded that He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, will He not also with Him graciously give us all things and pray. Pray that you would have this expectant hope no matter the path He takes you down. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank You that we can be confident and assured that You are a good God. I thank You that we can be confident and assured that everything is in Your hands. And I pray and thank You that we can be confident and ensured that You as a good God with all things in Your hands is doing all things for Your glory, but also for our good. And I praise You for that. And I thank You for that. Praise on Jesus' name. Amen.